This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. So I have something that predates the stone. These are palm nuts. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm pleased to be here to speak to you at this CARTA event, and I thank Dr. White and Dr. Churchland for the invitation. Like you, I'm passionately interested in the human mind and human behavior, and my particular interests are in what humans share with other species and how they are different. Understanding humans as members of the natural world is critical to understanding human origins and our future. Let's start with how humans use hand tools. Now, humans use hand tools like these now, and how our ancestors used them in the deep past. We can see some continuities. We can use chopper cores too, even though we might not be able to manufacture a chopper core like this one without practice. What about non-human primates? Jane Goodall gave compelling reports of wild chimpanzees fishing for termites with grass stems, prompting Louis Leakey's famous quote, now we must redefine tool, redefine man, or accept chimpanzees as humans. (laughs) But the idea that scientists in the mid-20th century were unaware of non-human primates naturally using tools is inaccurate. Darwin, citing a report published more than 100 years before Jane Goodall's report, mentioned wild chimpanzees cracking nuts with stones in his book, The Descent of Man. Goodall's discovery should not have come as a surprise, even if earlier reports of chimpanzees cracking nuts with stones had been forgotten, because psychologists had studied chimpanzees and capuchin monkeys spontaneously using objects as tools in captive settings for decades. Wolfgang Kohler and the Yerkes studied captive apes, and um, um, Heinrich Kluver studied capuchin monkeys. Studies with captive non-human primates using tools have continued since then, and we've learned much from, from them. I'm going to focus, however, on what we know about non-human primates' behavior in natural settings, in keeping with the situations of human ancestors and contemporary humans whose behavior and brains we're hoping to understand. I'm going to focus on those species uh, that have been found to use hand tools regularly in their daily lives as humans did and do. So what can we learn from non-human primates' use of hand tools? that helps us understand human origins and our contemporary minds and behavior. First, we can learn what is shared, and we can deduce what is not shared, and then we can work to explain the differences. So let's start with the forms of tooling that we find in non-human primates. And I use the word tooling to mean using an object as a tool. Four genera of non-human primates regularly use hand tools, and in each genus, one species has been most studied in this regard, and I'm going to focus on those species. Two species are apes, two are monkeys, two are Asian, one African, one South American. Thus, they come from across the regions in which non-human primates live. They most frequently use hand tools to hammer, puncture, scrape, probe, rake, and in a few other ways. In these forms of tooling, non-human primates perform simple actions. They produce a change in a substrate or a fixed object with one object, a stick or a stone. 
Here a chimpanzee punctures the soil to get at an underground termite nest. A macaque hammers an oyster with stone. And a capuchin monkey is scraping up, scraping the sand away from a tuber in the ground. They use a hand tool to alter one loose object, to pound a loose gastropod, in this case, by a macaque, or a chimpanzee or capuchin monkey cracking nuts. They generate novel combinations of actions with objects, some of which plausibly could lead to achieving their goal, but often they don't. This young monkey stacked a nut on a small stone on a larger piece of stone and then prepared to strike it and with his third stone, and that didn't work. They use simple toolkits. That is, they use two or more items in a sequence for different sub-goals. On the left, a chimpanzee uses a stout branch to break into a bee's nest, and then on the right, she uses a smaller branch to dip for honey and larvae. They select and transport materials, taken as evidence of planning. That was a capuchin monkey, transporting a stone bipedally several meters to an anvil. Here we see, I think I have to click again, another monkey. He's selecting a heavier stone, which in this case is the smaller one. He taps and handles both stones before selecting the heavier stone to carry to the anvil. This is Elisabetta Wieselbergi narrating in Italian. The lighter one, although larger, was too light to be an effective hammer. We manufactured the stones for that experiment. They modify materials and manufacture tools by subtraction, breaking sticks from branches and twigs from sticks, for example. Here we see a chimpanzee fishing for termites using a stem that she collected from a plant, like those shown on the left, which she then modified by chewing on it to have a brush tip. The lower right image shows how the brush tip helps to collect the termites. They use skilled movements to achieve a good mechanical effect with the tool. By skill, I mean achieving the goal with minimal effort and maximal effectiveness. This capuchin monkey can crack nuts far more skillfully than I can using the same stone, and I can tell you I've tried many times. He does it in three strikes, and he he was cracking a nut like this. The monkey weighs three and a half kilos. This is a big stone, a big nut for a monkey that size. They learn to use stone tools with others and from artifacts left by others. In other words, they have technical traditions. They learn these skills over a very lengthy period. Chimpanzees learn to crack nuts over about a three-year period, progressing from actions with one object to combining objects, and then percussing, and finally cracking nuts when they're about three years old. Burmese macaques learn to harvest oysters and crack loose gastropods in a similar time frame, with somewhat different order of appearance of the elements compared to chimpanzees. Bearded capuchins similarly begin handling objects soon after birth, but do not begin to place an object on a surface and then work on it with another object until they're around two years old, and they begin to crack nuts some months or even years after that. All in all, the developmental timelines are quite similar across these species. Orangutans may develop their tool-using skills more slowly, but we really don't have good ontogenetic data on this point yet. These primates, like humans, 
forage extractively. That is, they collect food that is hidden in wood or soil or protected by tough shells or rinds or by thorns or irritating latex. Some, some way they're defended. We see on the right a capuchin monkey extracting a plant underground storage organ from the soil. He's not using a tool for that. He's digging in the sand with his hands. They use tools to, abundant, to process abundant, high-quality foods. Here we see palm nuts eaten by capuchin monkeys on the left, kula nuts, also called African walnuts, eaten by chimpanzees in the center, and a diverse array of gastropods and marine organisms cracked by the macaques. These are all abundant foods. They're nutritious, good, high-quality foods. They all spend a lot of time on the ground and forage on the ground, except for orangutans. And this uh, is an interesting point and one that um, Muhlmann and Van Schaik have commented on. In, if you're looking for a book about tool use in non-human primates, this is actually about not just primates, uh, but it's called Tool Use in, tool use in Animals, edited by... Um, Sants, Call, and Bush. It's a good book if you're interested in this topic. The shared features I have mentioned and some others that I list here, bimanual actions, complementary bimanual actions, modulating movements, hierarchical organization of action sequence, preparatory movements with a tool before use, and, and others that I don't have time to talk about. These are all things that reveal shared perceptual motor cognitive and social foundations for tooling in primates. And yet, non-human primates do not use tools as shown in these pictures that are very common actions for humans. They don't do it spontaneously, and to my knowledge, they don't do it with training either. Why not? They don't seem to be limited by gross sensory or motor characteristics. Here we see a drawing of a chimpanzee delicately and dexterously handling a plant stem and holding a rigid stick. These were drawings taken from video. Instead, they differ from humans in more subtle ways. Humans perceive spatial relations between objects differently. For example, from two years of age, we can align the axes of objects and surfaces to each other accurately and easily, as when you insert a key into a keyhole. And non-human primates Do not, as far as we now know. Non-human primates align points. They can align a probe to a hole. That's a point alignment. But they don't align axes to each other. So here we see a bar, a cross, and a kind of tomahawk shape, and a a corresponding cutout in a tray. And two-year-old children can put in the bar and the cross, and three- and four-year-old children can manage that tomahawk shape And non-human primates, with a lot of effort, can get the bar in. And they actually can get them all in if you just give them long enough. But they don't just pick it up, rotate it, position it, and place it in. They do it by smearing the thing around on the surface. And eventually, they get it in. It's a very different strategy. Non-human primates move one object at a time, managing a few degrees of freedom. Humans manage two objects concurrently, and sometimes more, as when knitting. I think knitting is an underappreciated skill. (laughs) In sum, humans can coordinate movements in space more precisely, especially movements organized with respect to the target object or objects than non-human primates. Humans can manage a greater number of relations between objects concurrently than non-human primates. 
Humans also have more elaborate social cognition, and this plays out in many ways. Without teaching and without intentional scaffolding, non-human primates learn their technical skills less efficiently than do humans. Turning to the question that Drs. White and Churchland asked us to address, how did the tools, use of tools contribute to the origins of our species' brains and cognition? I would say as a primatologist that I want to turn the question around. I want to know what features of ancestral hominins and their ecological and their social circumstances set the stage for humans to expand into a specialized foraging niche that increasingly relied on using tools. My suggestion is that natural selection for perceptual and behavioral attributes associated with extractive foraging, particularly the perception and management of spatial relations among objects and the precise control of the movements of the body plus object system, slowly but eventually enabled ancestral humans to expand into a specialized foraging niche that relied on using tools. Humans are obligate tool users. No non-human primate is an obligate tool user. In other words, I suggest that the key evolutionary shifts that got humans started down this path were perceptual and action components associated with handling and moving objects during foraging. These shifts enable humans to use tools far more flexibly than can non-human primates. Of course, other aspects of human biology that are associated with tool use were co-evolving, including morphology, social cognition, attentional control, memory strategies, and so on. So our next speaker is going to tell us something more about how these features played out in human evolution. I want to take just a few moments, the remaining time that I have, to tell you a bit more about the work that I do in Brazil and the monkeys that I think are so interesting to study. And I do this work collaboratively with Patricia Itzar and Elisabetta Wieselbergi, who are shown in that photo. These monkeys collect palm nuts. They take them to anvils, and they use stone hammers to crack them at those anvils. You've seen a few clips of what these monkeys do. This one uh, shows a female um, positioning the nut very carefully and working on that stone. And this is completely characteristic. Uh, what she's doing looks, it's not chaotic or random. There's actually quite a bit of method there. In the end, she arrives at the nut in a very stable position on the anvil, and then she whacks it, even though it does sometimes fly off the anvil. That's just one of the hazards of the occupation. <laughs> and, uh, very slow motion. There's really beauty in that action. I think these monkeys are Hercules with a tail. <laughs> Capuchins have all the characteristics we associate with tool use in primates. They're quite terrestrial. They use bipedal stance occasionally on the ground to look around. They transport things bipedally. They're extractive foragers. They percuss objects during foraging even when they're not using tools. They're tolerant to young monkeys near them while they're foraging. They're generally social cohesive. 
Their habitat has features that make the monkeys nutcracking likely and of use to them. Nuts and anvil sites are abundant. The hammerstones are not. Those are the restricted resources. The nuts and the larvae that they often contain are both preferred and nutritious, and they're available all year long. So it, it makes a lot of sense if you're a capuchin monkey living in this area to crack nuts. Thank you very much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.